Good morning. It's really nice to be here. So if you'd like to donate to missions, it's over there. If you'd like to donate to Pastor Ian's uh, Bupa Care, <laughs> we'll take it off and over there. Uh, at this moment, they're in a cafe, I believe. No, no, they won't be. They'll be doing really well, bless them. I wouldn't do it. I was speaking to uh, a lady minister yesterday who said, oh, I couldn't do that. I've just sent some money. Well, if you couldn't do it, give some money. <laughs> uh, I'll have to give some money now because I certainly couldn't do it. Last time I spoke here with you, I, you were at a theater. Does that ring a bell? At a theater, yes. And before that, I've shot a lot of time up there. It's nice and lovely to have the invitation to be with you today. I'd like to speak to you, if I may, from a probably one of the most well-known portions of Scripture there is. And the reason it's well-known is I've only ever attended one funeral where this wasn't read. And the point I'd like to make this morning is this, that I think we miss out on this portion of Scripture because we tend to think it's something we only read at funerals. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading at funerals, and uh, you'll still get it to heaven if it's read or not read. That's if you're a Christian, of course, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so I'd like to read from John 14. And as I begin to read, you'll, you'll, some of you will start to repeat the words after me. And the, the older you are, the more funerals you've been to, and you'll, you will know the words better. Okay, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very well known. Thank you for your prayer. I'll carry straight on. As I say, that prayer is, that portion is read. As I say, I've been to many funerals, and I've always chosen that as part of the reading, part of the service, because it is such a great portion of Scripture, a great promise, that where I am, there you will be also. What a comfort to know that loved ones that, are Christians that know the Lord, that, and we're there, and we're saying farewell to their earthly remains, we have that tremendous truth that they're with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But may I just say that I think that's not what Jesus was talking about. I don't think he was talking about um, this is for the bereaved. In fact, there is basically no mention of bereavement in it. This wasn't at the the graveside of Lazarus. This wasn't at Jairus's daughter. Basically, this is coming towards the end of Christ's ministry. And it starts off with, do not let your hearts be troubled. So we have to discover, first of all, why their hearts were troubled. Now, at a funeral service, we know why people are troubled. We've lost someone dear to us. That is obvious. No need to expand that at all. But this was not an occasion of someone's bereavement. It wasn't... Um, in any way connected with anything like that. And yet Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. First thing I'd like to say is this. If your heart is troubled this morning, that's why I'm here. I have been sent to tell you, do not 
let your heart be troubled. I'm saying the words, I've read the words, but Jesus spoke them. And that's the important factor. You hear them as from him. So let's try and discover why their hearts were troubled. Well, there were three reasons why their hearts were troubled. In the previous chapter, they were given three pieces of bad news. Okay? The first piece of bad news was in verse 21. Um, where am I? I've lost that. Um, he says that, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Of course, that was speaking of Judas Iscariot. So in this group where they all thought they were walking as one, in this group of disciples in preparation coming up to Christ's death, Jesus comes to them and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now in that group, that was very troubling. If I said to you, if we were part of a, the underground church in say China or somewhere, and the pastor stood up and said, someone in this room has just betrayed us to the authorities, run, run for it, you know, or whatever you do, you know, we'd be thinking, what a, that would trouble our hearts. How could someone in that room betray Jesus? So the first thought that came in was this subject of betrayal. And that can be, that can upset our hearts. That can trouble our hearts very much when we've been betrayed. Some in this room will have been betrayed at some point in your life. And again, sympathy, that's not a prophetic word. It's just called a group this size. Life will throw up someone who has been betrayed. And that was one of the reasons why the hearts were troubled. Secondly, it goes on further, and it tells us there in verse 38, it says there, I tell you the truth, before the crow crows, one of you will disown me. So we have betrayal. Now we have someone who's denying Jesus. Denial. Someone here is going to betray me. Someone in this room is going to deny me. And they're going, how can that possibly be? They're going to disown me three times. Wow, how could that? They're looking around the room. Who's capable of that here? Who's capable of in this room of denying the Lord three times? In fact, when it actually happened, it was Peter, as you know. It, it, it says it with oaths, he swore in his denial of Jesus. He used bad language. I, unfortunately, I don't know what the bad language was, so I can't say it. But I wouldn't have said it anyway. So they're in this group. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. No wonder their hearts were troubled. No talk of bereavement now. But the one thing I think that caused them more distress than anything else is in that verse 33. Because he says these words to them. My children, I will with you only a little longer. Speaking about his death, his resurrection, ascension. You will look for me just as I told the Jews and I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. So we've got betrayal. We've got denial, and now we've got, he's going to be absent. He's leaving them. One minute he's with them, the next minute he's going to leave them on their own. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Hang on a minute, please, Jesus. We've followed you for, well, I'm going to say three years. Someone will tell me how many months, I'm sure. But, you know, we've followed you. We've given up the boats. Matthew's given up the tax collecting job. We, we've committed ourselves to And now you're telling us that somewhere where you're, the only place you would ever go before now without us would be to pray alone. And now you're saying you're going somewhere where we can't be with you. And it's into that environment that we get to chapter 14. It's into that betrayal and denial and almost feeling abandoned which are emotions that everyone in this room will have felt at different levels at different times in their experience. 
And it's into that room, it's into that group of people with those emotions and those turmoils where he says these famous words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now the word troubled, I'm told, the meaning of it is it's to don't let your hearts be agitated. Now, as you can tell, I'm of a great age, okay? And I can remember, and don't smile, or it's going to give you, when there was a washing machine called an agitator. Anybody here remember that? And what happened was, it was a tub, I think, and um, you put your washing in this way, not that way, and it went this way, and it backwards and forwards. And that would produce, excuse me, I need to blow my nose. That's not in the notes, that's just, I need to blow my nose. Um, it would go backwards and forwards. It, it was called, an I believe, an agitator. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't let your hearts be churned up. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart down. Please, there might be someone whose heart is like that now. And if there is, that's why I've come. God, the Lord has sent me. That's a very, not very Gordon Neal, but in that way. To say that to you, your heart's churned up. We often say, don't we, oh, my tummy's turning over, you know, in that way. So he says to them, don't let your hearts be churned up. Don't be this. But the point I'd like to make here is that he asks them to take responsibility for their heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. See, my heart is my responsibility. So if I have an unforgiving spirit, that's my responsibility. I need to forgive you. And by the way, there's no one in this room I need to forgive. You'll be all right, like to know. Might be before we're finished. Because some of you are looking at me quite threateningly. You know, but, um, no. So, the heart, don't let your hearts be troubled. We take responsibility for our hearts. We're all capable. Oh, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's them. It's them, them, them. They did that. They said that. They did the other. How can I forgive them when they... Listen, friend. Let not your heart be troubled. Your heart... It's your responsibility. Sometimes we, I don't, you might think, oh, I'm not having you back. Well, I might not come. You never know, you know. Let, we, we sometimes want to excuse our behavior. Oh, my father had a temper, so I've got one. Your father had Verrucas. <laughs> you know, we blame it on them. We blame it on this. We blame it on that. Well, I failed the 11 plus. So... Some of the greatest minds in Britain failed their 11 plus. <laughs> in other words, I have got to take responsibility for my heart. I have got to forgive you. You've got to forgive me. But I can't make you forgive me. I'm only responsible for my heart. My father, sadly, died at 52 years of age um, from a heart attack. And uh, he'd been a smoker since the age of 14. It was an age when... Anyway, he ate all the wrong foods and all the rest of it. And he worked, you know, it was just very, very sad. And um, I remember soon after um, our first child was born, and she's now four, you know, four lumpers and all the rest of it, that I thought I'd better get some insurance. I'm sure I've told this story at the camp, some of you. Um, I, I wanted to get some life insurance. I thought, well, if something happens to me, Kay will now have a child. My wife's Kay will now have a child to look after. And... Um, Again, a, a Christian friend was um, into assurance and all the rest of it. And I, I said to him, so, well, yeah, we'll get you something sorted out. i no problem. But I had to go and have a medical. Even though I was in my t early 20s, I still had to go and see a doctor to get this life cover. And um, I, I, I remember 
I've, I'm trying not to exaggerate anyway. I don't remember him looking up. Any doctors here, GPs, before I go on? <laughs> it's, just, it's just I've been on the waiting list now for so long. I don't want to go back to the back here. He went, you know, name. I could have been a woman and he wouldn't have known. Because he never looked up. He said, yeah, parents, yeah, father deceased, yeah, when did he die? 52. Um, and he said, uh, heart attack. And he just went, uh. His head down. Man, he said, I can't remember. Uh, and he, I said, excuse me, because I'm paying money for this. It's one national health. I had to give him. I said, excuse me, I said, what does earth mean? And he, meant, he said, oh, you'll die within a month of your father. Whoa. Now, that, I haven't always been a Christian, and I've had some belts, I'll tell you what, I've been here a couple of times, I've sent this, really. I thought, what? I said, could you explain that? And then he put his pen, he looked, oh, great skill. He put his pen down, and he looked at me. He said, tell me about your dad. I said, he smoked. Do you smoke? He said, no. Good. Do you do it? No. Did he have any exercise? No, he was too busy working to exercise. You know, he'd come home, he got to sleep. <laughs> That's what he'd do. Poor man. You know, and he went through this. He said, well, what I meant was this. If you have exactly the same lifestyle as your father, with genetics, lifestyle, the smoking, the, the, the frying pan, and all the rest of it, my mother used to give my dad the cream off the milk if he thought it was really good. She did. How tragic. Really? Didn't know. My mother would go around meals, but we'd have a plate for us, how poor we were at one stage. The food banks, I couldn't say, well, me dad, this and this. No, no, he's told me what it is. I'm responsible. So this is why this Olympic athlete is <laughs> Someone said I've got a body like a, a, a Greek, a, a Greek a god. He said, no, not like a Greek urn. Was it he said? But anyway, you know. But the minute the doctor warned me, I knew what I could have done. I have now lived, and I'm 71, I'll be 72. In October, club together, And if the same goes for my physical heart, it goes for my spiritual heart as well. We have to take responsibility for it. What intake is your heart receiving? Is it receiving God's word? Is it receiving Christian encouragement? What is the input? What exercise do you have? Do you pray? Do you witness? Do you get it? You, you, you don't need me. My wife says, I talk to people like the dad. There's a comparison between the physical heart and the spiritual heart. They both need looking after. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't you, boy, don't let your boys. Don't let your heart be troubled. 
It became their responsibility. Okay, very, very important. Um, trouble agitated. And then he comes in with that. So that, that sounds so simple. Like if I said, no, that's it, don't let you have, and walked out the door, you'd be thinking, hang on a minute, Gordon. It's easy to tell us to do that, but how do we do it? <coughs> Excuse me. How do we do it? Because it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's very hard, okay? He says there, trust in God, trust also in me. Now, the disciples were all Jewish people. Jews. They knew that God was trustworthy. They had their Old Testament. They had their crossing the Red Sea. They had all the miracles of the Old Testament. You know, the Passover lamb, the, the miracle, just full of old time. So they knew God was trustworthy. But what he was asking them to do is to go a step further in their level of trust. Up till this point, they had trusted Jehovah. They had trusted Elohim. They had trusted the God of the Old Testament because without being clever, there wasn't a God of the New Testament yet. Well, there is no God of the new and the God of the old. It's the same God, you understand that. But what I'm saying is that the term New Testament wasn't even in their thinking at the moment. And he says, trust in God, trust also um, in me. And that is the antidote to this, is to put our trust in Christ on the basis not of what the, the, the disciples crossed, the, uh, the, the children of Israel got through the Red Sea, great as that is, but we trust in Christ because he rose from the dead. We trust in Christ because he gave himself for us. We've just remembered his body and his blood shed. We trust in him. So in this troubled heart, in this stress that you're going through, trust in God, but trust also in me. Christ is as trustworthy as God because he is God. There is no competition. There's no inferiority. They are the same. The difference being was there was a body there talking to them. And that was the step of faith they had to take. That this man in front of them was the God-man. He was 100% God, 100% man. The maths don't match up, I know. Paul calls it the mystery of godliness, where God is in the flesh. And whatever situations we find ourselves in, it'll come down to a matter of trust. Trust. Um, we have a dog. I walk the dog uh, pretty regularly. Uh, well, very regularly. And there's a, 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 we, as a group of us meet, and we can have up to 10 dogs at a time, and we let them off, and they go wild, these dogs, and our wives or husbands think we're walking them. <laughs> and really, we're talking about football, TV, we're talking about all sorts of things. Although I'm talking to a Buddhist lady at the moment, which is quite interesting. I can't say any more, because... Okay, so, that's it. Now, um, why am I telling you that? can't remember. Maybe I just wanted to tell you about a dog. Um, you know, uh, the trust, you know, in that, in that way. Yes. And one of the people that walks a dog is a, a, a doctor, and she's just been accepted to be an anaesthetist. Right? Now, in case you don't know what that is, it's the one that puts you to sleep before your operation. Now, I've said to her, look, when I have my operation, she says, what are you having? I said, I don't know yet. But when I have it, I, will you be my anaesthetist? She said, of course I will. Very nice, really. And then she suddenly moved hospitals. Get away from it. But we had a, there was a man in our 
Derby Church. His first name was Moses. And he was an anaesthetist. And he said to me, he said, ever you're in the hospital, I'd like to be your anaesthetist. I said, oh, I was quite moved. He said, Moses, that's really nice. He said, well, he said, you've put me to sleep so often. <laughs> I said, thank you. Thank you. You see, you say, I don't think I could have that level of trust. You trust an anaesthetist to put you to sleep, don't you? Now, I mean, you could be asleep and swap your legs over. You'd come out walking like this. Well, you'd come out walking like Ian will when he gets off that bike. You know? It, you trust dentists. You go into the garage, they say, we fixed your brakes. Now, I never go gingerly. I just believe they fixed the brakes. See, we all know how to trust. We trust doctors. We trust mechanics. We trust pilots. Those of you get on planes. Why do you only hear the voice of the pilot? <laughs> Is he there? <laughs> I'm not saying anybody flying. Just go have a look. Can I just have a look? Very important. In other words, trust in God, trust also in me. If you can trust the mechanics, the pilot, the surely you can trust God. And they say, God, you don't know the problem. I don't know the problems. And, and there are pastoral teams here that will hopefully support you. I'm not in that position. I'm going and writing me again, so I can't follow through. I know that he's here. He's here. And he is trustworthy. Moving on a little bit further, he'll be very patient. In my then he goes on and he talks about the future. You see, not only do we need trust, but we need hope in the situation. Oh, I can't see this ever getting better. We can't say that with God. We can't say that, with, oh, this is it, I'm stuck with this. No, you're not stuck with anything. Because a moment we shall be changed and the moment we will change this incorruptible corruption we're not nothing's going to stay the same for eternity of course not so he says there in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so i would have told you i'm going there to prepare a place for you you're you're distressed you're wondering <coughs> how you're going to cope when i'm gone who's the betrayer who's the denier it's all taking place listen trust me because i'll tell you now when i'm gone i haven't forgotten you but i'm getting a place ready for you. Isn't that nice? For those who didn't respond, it is nice. It's nice. I'm somewhere ready for you. And he's got to prepare. So in this troubled heart, and this, all this is going on and the rest of it, no, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in my father's house so many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me. That where I am, there you may be also. And he brings in the truth of eternity. Because whatever is troubling you now is not eternal. You say, Gordon, I'm very ill. I'm sorry you're ill. And I'm not being humorous or flippant in any way, but your illness is not eternal. One day you will be free of that. So, will God heal me? He might do, 
But I know that when you go to be with Jesus, you will not be ill again. You say, well, I'm broke. I'm poverty. You don't know. I can't manage. You don't know how I'm going to manage. Let me tell you this. When you get to heaven, it's all free. I'm so old, I can remember this song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You see, being a Christian can be tough. It can be very tough. You say, oh, but you're a pastor. You're supposed to tell me, once I give my life to Jesus, you'll never have another problem again. Well, you'll not have a problem with hell again. But you're going to have challenges on earth, aren't you? You know, um, people, Christians get poorly. Christians get in financial difficulty. Christians are made redundant. Christians have rebellious parents and rebellious children. You know, it, it's part of it. But the great truth of it is that in the midst of all of this troubled heart, Jesus is the constant truth. He's trustworthy. He will be there. Let me just begin to conclude, if I may. Trust in God, trust also in me. You see, he instructed them to trust in a person. Okay, I'm with this, I'm going to conclude. He says there, trust also in me. I, I hold the pastors and the leaders of this church in high regard. I do. Okay. But put your trust in me. They're offended I said that. They really should be gone. You have no idea what you're supposed to be doing around here. You get the up over that. You say, well, you know, in church, you know, oh dear, they never sing the songs I like. Well, you know, I'm sorry. You know, tell us what they are, and we might sing one this year. I'm not going to put a burden on the worship team. You know. Um, oh, that, but that's, that's not what it's about. We're trusting in Jesus. So if you've come into the service to worship him this morning and we haven't sung one song you like, you broke bread, didn't you? You were coming just to break bread with your brothers and sisters. It's all about him. Well, I don't like the pastor. I do like the pastor. I don't like the elders. I certainly don't like you, Gordon. Well, that's okay. It really is okay. Don't let it become bitterness, so you need to repent. Well, it's a bit late now. I think you need to repent. Other words, you know what I'm saying to you. It's him. He didn't say, go to that person or that church or wait till Peter's restored or wait till Paul turns up when he gets saved later on. He says, trust in me. Do you know, you have everything in him to get you over the line. Whether it's the rapture or your, your death, or you meet Christ, you've got everything you need in him to get you over that line. You say, God, I don't think I'll get through. You will if you trust in him. Because he died for you. Do you think he went all that? I, I use the word trouble, it's the wrong word. But he went to all that for you. Not to look after you now? And why some of the things are happening in your life at the moment is that you will learn to trust him more. 
Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you want to please God, then there may be something going on in your life, and it's not the devil, and it's not your sin. It's just God saying, it's about time, Gordon. You learn to trust me in this area. And something will happen. And I have to throw myself back on him and trust him for everything. So next time you attend a funeral, and I hope it won't be for a long, long time, and possibly the minister will read those words. They're going to be such a comfort to the bereaved. But what a timely reminder to us that in the midst of a world of betrayal and denial and seeming Jesus is not there anymore, he's going where you cannot come, and that can trouble our hearts. Where is God in all of this? Well, let me tell you, he's exactly where he was before. The circumstances have changed. We won't let our hearts be troubled. Let me pray for you before I sit down. Thank you. Father, we thank you this morning for your love towards us. We thank you, Lord, that you said these words to the disciples. And I'm going to read them now, Lord, as if you're saying them to us. Jesus is speaking to you now. Close your eyes, please. Um, sorry, I don't mean that to sound bossy, but please just do that and just let Jesus speak to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Why can we say this? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening.